What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode 19, which is a great prime number. Today's episode is an interview with my pal and Twitter sweetheart, Dr. Freya Gowley. If you're on Twitter and you are in the world of art history or history or material culture or whatever, you know Freya. That's how Freya and I met, actually. Twitter mutuals to real-life friends, which is honestly, like, so enjoyable. Freya is an art historian and postdoctoral fellow in history at the University of Derby, and she's held positions at the Paul Mellon Center for Studies in British Art and the University of Edinburgh, as well as fellowships all over the U.S. Freya researches the relationship between identity and visual and material culture in 18th and 19th century Britain and North America, exploring that connection through the home, the collaged object, and the body. In our interview, I mentioned a few pieces of Freya's writing. The first is an article in the Journal for 18th Century Studies called The Sister Arts, Textile Crafts Between Paint, Print, and Practice. And the second is her monograph, which is coming out next year with Bloomsbury Academic and is called Domestic Space in Britain, Circa 1750 to 1840, Materiality, Sociability, and Emotion. I'm mentioning these not only because I'd really recommend reading her article and because I am very excited about her monograph, but also because I do mention them in some interview questions. I'm very excited to have Freya on the pod because she is a delight, but more than that, she looks at a type of needlework we haven't really looked at in the podcast yet, which is specifically patchwork. She looks at patchwork as a collage, which is really cool. In this episode, we also talk about big questions and themes like needlework and emotions and self-fashioning and all that good stuff. And as always, I've posted images of what we discuss on the So What Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages. Yay! Okay, here's the interview. I am very, very excited. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're going to get right into it, if okay. that's with you. Okay, so okay. the first question, thank you. The first question I have is, how did you get interested in material and visual culture in 18th and 19th century Britain and North America generally? Like, what is, the question I always ask is, what is your origin story? It, which, this is probably going to elicit quite a long answer, but basically I'm like the opposite that. of you. So I was never that kid who was like obsessed with Jane Austen. I didn't really read any of those like classic novels. Yeah, so uh, yeah. So I was never a kind of big, <laughs> kind of 18th, early like Regency nerd when I was younger. Um, but I, I was kind of interested a lot in Victorian art in part because I grew up in the Northwest and you have a lot of the collections from those big Victorian kind of powerhouse, like industrial powerhouse collection. So in Manchester Gallery and like the Liverpool Art Gallery, the Walker Museum, those kinds of collections have a lot of pre-Raphaelite stuff. So I was really into art um, and Victorian art specifically. So I knew I wanted to do art history at university. But again, I took like this really kind of circuitous route to get to thinking about what I am now interested in. I think we had an option um, to do an like a course on 18th century art, didn't take that, took this class on pilgrimage and Ooh. in the Medi, which I hate, I hated. <laughs> and I like fell asleep every week. <laughs> and then, so I, so I kind of weirdly deliberately kind of missed out on the 18th century at university as well. But then I came to it during my master's. So I stayed on at work to do this master's in, I think it was called British Art and its Histories. And there was an 18th century module in that. And the first thing I read was, I don't know if you've read this, but like John um, Brewer's Pleasures of the Imagination. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, it was like, you know, that that terrible, the gif with the, like, whoa, the, the brain exploding. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I kind of read that and I, I just kind of completely fell in love, basically. I love um, 
and then I decided that I liked that so much that I wanted to kind of combine the MA with um, some of the courses that the history MA was offering, which was like an 18th century cultures MA. And that was run by lots of great people like Maxine Berg. So like it was at Warwick. So this, you know, this, this huge emphasis on consumption, material culture kind of histories. And so the rest is kind of history, I guess, um, in terms of how I kind of came to this stuff. I just became more and more obsessed with it and then did, started my PhD, which is on kind of women and material culture. It was actually on women and classicism initially, <laughs> which seems, which is really weird because I'm not at all a classicist now. Um, but I started thinking about the Ladies Waldegrave, which oh, yeah. is the, the painting by Joshua Reynolds, which has these kind of three very like kind of porcelain white women um, their hair's kind of powdered, their dresses are white, and they're all shown kind of engaging in various forms of textile crafts. And I was thinking about them initially as kind of almost sculptural, but then I eventually became more interested in what they were doing rather than how they looked. So yeah, that's kind of how I came to thinking about needlework. But more generally, I think textiles play kind of different kinds of roles in my work. I think about my work as being generally about the relationship between visual and material culture and identity during this period. And um, textiles are so much a part of that, whether it's my work on the home, you know, textiles are very much a part of the furnishings of the home and our day-to-day lives. I also have work on the body in a different project and, you know, the closeness of the body to textiles. And also then in this project that I'm working on, on collage made before modernism, that's really where my kind of interest in textiles has kind of become codified more particularly in the way that I want to kind of explore it more fully in the future. You mentioned your research on collage before modernism. It's basically, uh, it came out of the PhD thesis because I was working on places like Alarond, which is this amazing 16-sided house in Exmouth in Devon. And the two cousins who live there, Jane and Mary Parmenter, they kind of cover the surfaces of the house in a range of different materials, whether it's paper, shells, um, various kinds of things, that detritus essentially, that they would find on beaches, so like mica, spa, you know, all kinds of different things. And I was also looking at Place Nowes, which is the ladies of Langochland's house, and they have a kind of similar kind of decorative approach, which is very like juxtaposition-y. <laughs> and they were kind of making these surfaces, which were covered in all these kind of old wooden carvings that they kind of stick together and likewise these stained glass windows which kind of adopt a similarly kind of collaged aesthetic and I started thinking about them I was like oh this is kind of like collage and I went to look at the literature on collage but the literature on collage is very much focused on kind of perpetuating these narratives that the idea that Pablo Picasso and George Braque invent collage in France in 1912. And there are longer histories of collage. There's a book by Eddie Wolfram, but the way he kind of positions everything that comes before 1912 is that this is like a quaint curiosity. It's like a funny, strange thing, right? And this is true of a lot of the the history of collage. That's the way it's written. There's a really nice quote by Dawn Arders, who is a major kind of scholar of surrealism and she uh, writes in this book which is uh, was an exhibition catalogue to a show using Peter Blake's collection of collage um, that it's something like everything before Pablo and Picasso make make their first collages 
uh, has everything, has nothing, no, or their work has nothing to do with everything that came before it, but everything to do with art. And so she's like directly kind of separating everything that came before it, which is like women gluing stuff to fire screens and um, scrapbooking and all these kinds of things from art. She's deliberately separating those two things. And so for me, that is a really useful quote because it really exemplifies everything about the problem of, of dividing those two time periods. It's like, so it just perpetuates this notion of collage as like masculine, modernist innovation and everything before is like quaint women's craftiness. So that's kind of how I came to that project <laughs> through lots of kind of righteous anger about like how we should really think about this stuff seriously and critically. Um, and also that we should think about this stuff as collage. There's no reason that just because these women were not kind of artists, quote unquote, in the traditional sense, that we shouldn't think about their work in a kind of longer history, like a longer multimedia history of collage production. So I'm looking at all kinds of things, things like traditional paper collage, but also bibliographic objects like albums, scrapbooks, herbaria, um, and craft practices like um, gel and featherwork, but also making quilts. So that's how that textiles kind of come into this project. So I'm really interested in thinking about collage through a definition based on process rather than a kind of limited definition, which is about color, like paper stuck to paper. If we think about collage made through the process of joining things together, which is a really a kind of um, typical mode of production during this period, I think we get a more interesting and diverse and exciting conception of what collage is basically. You're so right. I hadn't really thought about the narrative of collage and its history, but the idea that scholars historically have separated uh, Picasso and Brock's like Edwardian, like 1912, like modernist collage, very much separated from the history of women typically putting things together, whether it be paper via scrapbooks or fabric via patchwork quilts. So thank you. Like the fact that you are giving what has always been considered lesser a chance to thrive and be important on its own is really exciting to me. So thank you. I think patchwork quilts are a really good intersection of uh, collage and needlework and the stuff that like the listeners of So What love to see. So like what a treat. I don't know if you would know this off the top of your head, but do you have favorite patchwork quilts? Is that a question I can ask? There are so many and they're so good. <laughs> there's, there's so, so many. Um, but a really good example that's maybe a good illustration of the kind of things I've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. So like thinking beyond those kind of binaries of cloth versus text. Uh, there's a really um, great example of a 19th century signature quilt. It's kind of like 1840s at the Winterson Museum. I can't remember the family name, but maybe I can let you know later. Yeah. And it's essentially a kind of um, a, a signature quilt. So um, a quilt with lots of patches donated by different family members, friends, etc. Um, and often printed with the signatures using a small kind of stamp. Amazing. So interesting. Um, but then they also have this the quilt at the Winterthur with many of these kind of family names and rec that are recognizable alongside this kind of surviving birthday book kind of album. And so many of the same names contribute to this album, this sentimental album, which is often made through the same kind of process as these patchwork quilts, you know, donated by lots of different people, these creative kind of 
pages that all come together into a single whole, just like the quilt, which kind of does the same. And so it's a really useful kind of pairing to get us to think beyond this kind of simplistic division between, okay, well, this is a this is an object made of cloth and this is an object made of paper. And so that's kind of what I want the project to kind of do more broadly, but that's a really nice example of how quilt and, and paper kind of come together. So I was rereading your article called The Sister Arts, Textile Crafts Between Paint, Print and Practice. Oh, also the alliteration, I live, I love, big fan. Love um, an alliteration. <laughs> I, same, wow, really gets me so good. So thank you for that little verbal treat. Um, so when I was reading it, what struck me was this idea of the act of stitching, of piecing together and patchworking a quilt, specifically in, in my own head, um, as a way of like literally stitching oneself together to craft oneself to be perceived as a perfect mother or daughter or wife, et cetera. You talk about self-fashioning in that way. And that idea that in the period you're looking at in the 18th and in the 19th century, that needlework mirrored the act of self-fashioning and collage and needlework was a way of picking the bits and pieces one liked about oneself and putting it all together to create the perfect ideal self. That really struck me, and I'm not really sure what the question I have to ask here is, but I guess, what do you think about that observation? And if that rings true to you, has that idea of self-fashioning through the literal picking and choosing of fabrics and stitches and whatever informed your work, or is that something that has crossed your mind at all? Thank you. Thank you. That is a uh, fascinating question. I, I love all those themes. I think it, I think in a way that the the two projects are quite distinct, mm -hmm. the sister arts kind of piece and then the the quilting piece. I always think of them as being quite distinct. So I I, I like that that I like the kind of that you've picked up on and kind of brought them together. I, I really like that. But I hope for me, the sister arts pieces, they're about kind of almost like two different kinds of identity construction. Mm -hmm. The sister arts piece is almost about this like externally constructed identity through representation. Right. So it's about how what does it mean that there's hundreds of images of women needleworking? And how what does it mean that they that artists, not necessarily and their patrons, which are often men, choose to present women in this mm -hmm. way? But at the same time, women also have a lot of agency and self-expression through making these kinds of objects as well, right? So that it's, there's a kind of nice tension between this constructed ideal of femininity that's external through these representations, whether they're textual from like didactic text telling women that they must needlework or that the perfect mother needleworks in this way and teaches her daughter or becomes marriageable through doing this kind of stuff or is presented in a painting like that um, that that's a very kind of specific kind of identity construction that isn't necessarily anything to do with the women themselves. Mm -hmm. But then you also have this like really rich kind of material record where you have where people are literally, as you said, kind of stitching themselves through the objects that they're making. They're telling their kind of histories, they're responding to their kind of gendered and sexual identities. A good example of this, I think, that brings these two things together. And I think I talk about this in the article that's been kind of a while since I read it. It was definitely in my PhD thesis. Is there's a sampler by Marianne Body, and it's in the VA collection. And it it's a really nice because it responds directly to, I think, William Markham's um, one of his didactic texts. So it kind of copies a piece of text from uh, a kind of actual um instructional kind of manual 
on this real object. So we have a sense that actually those two things, although they seem quite distinct, this externally, this external idea of what people should be doing and what women actually did, that they those two things exist together. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really nice example of thinking about the ways of this this notion of perfect femininity and how women actually embody that through the things that they make and how those things come together. But yeah, it's 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 that kind of really interesting intersection between these different kinds of identities. But and also this idea that you kind of mentioned about like the idea of bringing objects together, I think is really, or the act of joining together mm -hmm. through sewing is really crucial for thinking about identity as well. This like act of, of joining becomes really about kind of different pieces referring to different narratives, different memories, different histories. And so joining those histories together is kind of key to how I think about collage as being about kind of self-expression and identity um, and how college works in this way. And there's a really nice quote in Vickery's Gentleman's Daughter, you probably know it, mm -hmm. where she talks about um, Ellen Wheaton's, uh, who's like a, the, a member of the Lancashire Gentry. And she has this like bundle of heirlooms that she sends to her daughter, one of which is a green ribbon, but another bit is a piece of that, uh, patchwork, which is from uh, a quilt that she'd made like 20 years before made from chintz that her father had brought home with him from one of his voyages. But crucially, uh, the mother kind of tells Ellen Wheaton that she's included the patchwork that so she knows something of the history of her mother's family. Oh. So I'm really interested in like how this scrappy piece of fabric that was once part of this broader connected whole and is then separated still tells these really resonant stories of identity and kind of personal history. Yes. So we're going to jump from your article about sister crafts to your upcoming monograph. And I'm just like your biggest fan just out here <laughs> tracking all of your writing, really just like Freya fan club over here. Hello. Um, so I'm really excited about your upcoming monograph, which is called Domestic Space in Britain, 1750 to 1840, Materiality, Sociability and Emotion. Not only do I love domestic space in Britain and materiality and sociability and emotion. I'm just very excited because I think it brings together a lot of my own interests. And I think, so selfishly, I'm hyped. But within that, that the title of that and what I am assuming is going to be in that monograph has got me thinking, what in your opinion is the relationship between needlework and emotion in the 18th century? Do you think that textiles are crucial to this relationship between material culture identity and emotion that kind of dialogue between them I think we mentioned this earlier but like the closeness of textiles to the body mm -hmm. makes this physically very intimate relationship between cloth and person but also I think that has an ideological kind of echo uh, so that's really lovely and then also when we're talking about crafts more specifically I think the time the kind of temporality that of making crafts is really important to think about in terms of how they become so significant right it takes hours and, and any of your listeners who are crafters will know this right it takes hours to produce things it's a very kind of introspective undertaking where you're kind of reflecting thinking and so that time and, and physical closeness again to this very like minute kind of work I think is really significant in terms of thinking about why textile objects and craft practices that use textiles become so kind of emotionally redolent. But I also think that that relationship works on a kind of level of, of 
like intimate knowledge. So, for example, there's a lot of old Bailey records that talk about instances of patchwork being stolen. And the people who are kind of on trial, either for defending that their patchwork has been stolen or defending themselves as this, the, you know, the thief of the patchwork, mm-hmm. often kind of talk about this, like, they express their knowledge of patchwork through this kind of really intimate knowledge of, like, material production. So there's a really great example from 1712 where Mary Smith is accused of stealing patchwork from this woman, Anne Cross. And it's kind of, she's supposed to have stolen it and then claimed it as her own work. So several of Smith's (laughs) friends kind of, it's it's such a great story. Several of Smith's friends come to the stand and they give evidence that they know the patchwork produced and that they helped Smith to make it. And the others give her some of the pieces. So they really kind of, it shows how like, not only do they kind of recognize and know the work as being their friends, but they like communally kind of make it as well. And there's another really good example from the old Bailey of like Samuel Wallace, who talks about um, a stolen quilt and he needs proof that the quilt that's been stolen was his. And the judge asks him like, how do you know that this quilt by? And he's like, oh, my, my wife makes it, made it out of a bit of patchwork. And so he like knows his wife's work in this really intimate way. And I just think there's something really kind of wonderful between this like, this deep knowledge and how it reflects their kind of social relationships during this time. And yeah, I just think it's really cool. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, you saw my face when you were talking about this. I did not know about all of the Old Bailey records that have to do with patchwork and stealing everybody else's textiles. That is so wild. And that idea that Mary Smith, is that her name? Yeah, yeah. That she stole somebody else's needlework and uh, somebody else's patchwork and played it off as her own that's yeah, so crazy I mean, so oh yeah. and so I love this like this idea it's just sort of so evocative like the idea that her friends and like Carmen the they give evidence that they helped her to make it and that they foreknow it and they get, give her some of the pieces and they can identify them do you know what I mean like it's just so evocative and yeah that's wild it's like the intimacy that's associated with that needlework and the importance that's placed on it the fact that it goes to court and that people have to advocate for themselves and the making of the object it's also a way of thinking about crafts like beyond this kind of accomplished lady kind of model Mm. right Mm. so it's a way of although the object although like smith's patchwork presumably doesn't survive right it'll you know in any form but we can still get these kind of the voices around kind of working laboring class voices, you know, from these records and how their craft production was just as meaningful as like Mary Delaney's, yeah. right? So I think it's really good for understanding that as well. And the fact that needlework moves, it's not just women in their own homes making this stuff. Like it's much more universal than that. You have a man talking about how important this quilt was to him and that, and he, that he knew it right, right. in this really knew. meaningful way yeah yeah that needlework touched everybody's lives okay so continuing on the questions about needlework because that is why we are here today what are your favorite types of needleworked objects if you have a favorite like genre and beyond that do you have a specific favorite needlework piece pieces tell me about your deepest textile loves I mean, I think it's been obvious throughout the course of the conversation because I keep talking about patchwork. I love patchwork. I just think conceptually it's fascinating because I'm interested in this idea of 
part and whole and kind of joining pieces together and, and also the, the idea that patchwork like which we just talked about the idea that patchwork kind of transcends different kind of class registers i think mm -hmm. makes it even more fascinating um and in that kind of sense like a good the first thing that i thought about when um you asked me this question is is uh the foundling hospital textile tokens mm -hmm. which are kind of exemplify this like narrative of like part and whole right it's like a whole piece of cloth that's cut um, into a small token, which is given um, and donated alongside babies whose mothers could no longer care for them, right? So it's uh, it's so, it's like jam-packed with emotion. It mm -hmm. couldn't be an, uh, any more of an emotional object, I think, right? It's right. not only does it belong to a piece of clothing from the mother, but then it signifies this event, this kind of hopeful eventual reuniting that may or may not ever happen. And so one thing that I really love from that collection, which unites these strong feelings that I have to these different mm -hmm. kinds of textile objects is um, a patch fragment of a patchwork needle case, which is embroidered with like half a red heart. Um, and it's really special um, in the foundling token textile collections because it's one of the few objects where we can kind of attribute it to the eventual reuniting of a, a mother and child. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I like it for so many reasons. I mean, it's it's patchwork, so I think already it's an object that is so kind of layered with emotion and affect through this kind of intimate making, this like long-term making, which we talked about earlier. Um, and then it's kind of cut in half and then left with the foundlings. It gets this like extra layer of intimacy and then it's embroidered with a heart as well. So it, it, it works on these like different levels in this emotional kind of register and you know even though it's kind of dislocated and cut up it still functions in this really kind of meaningful like deeply meaningful way and I, I like it because so often we think about like scrappy fabrics as being mm -hmm. kind of ephemeral or being overlooked like in art history it's not like you're going to get like a this piece of half a patchwork kind of right. um, <laughs> needlework case in like your history you know in your canonical art histories so mm -hmm. I just but I still think it's like such an important and meaningful object and so that is my favorite needlework oh, object of that is time. so good that's a really good favorite object so thank you for sharing that with me no worries. and with everybody who's listening the next question my the question I ask everybody because I find everybody's answers so interesting what do you think the role of needlework is in today's world I have been pondering these kinds of ideas a lot recently I mm -hmm. think this is a really interesting time for someone who works on both the home as a kind of creative and productive space and then also on craft right the definitely and I think a really good like a kind of my current feelings on on this are kind of exemplified by the cottage core trend mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. this notion of the home which has become so heightened at the moment because we're retreated like physically retreated into the home the home becomes like this protective barrier this important space from which we can isolate the world and potential kind of harmful elements and that's something that comes up in my research a couple of times like with the ladies in like Gochlin who live in Plasnowas they have a um well they have like a an explicitly queer kind of lifestyle together and so their retreat is kind of an escape from the marriage that their parents try and for one of well, one of their parents tries to force them into and it's you know it's a way of so the home is like a kind of protective separating mm -hmm. kind of isolated space for them in a way that's really kind of akin to some of the 
the retreat into the home that's exemplified by like cottagecore, right? It's this like rural idyll. It's about kind of and like a kind of sanctuary of safety and yeah, and, and like crafting and homemaking and baking and kind of artisanal practices are really important part of that trend as well, right? So I think you see this nice kind of intersection between like this homeliness becoming so crucial and then crafting as being like a part of that aesthetic. But actually, again, because of this, the how long crafts take, how distracting they are, how like absorptive crafting is, all of this I see as a kind of interrelated strategy, like a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the, that's what I've been thinking about in terms of why and how needleworking is so kind of relevant at the moment. It's like COVID crafting and this notion of homeliness. They're all kind of interconnected to me. <laughs> Definitely. So the last question, which is the self-promotion question, how can people learn more about your work? And do you have anything you'd like to promote? I know you are a very busy lady with a really like very wholesome and wonderful social media presence. So tell me, lay it all out for me, please. Okay. Yeah. People can find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter probably too much, but um, I am at Freya underscore Gowley and Gowley has this strange R that kind of gets (laughs) lodged in different places in my name so the spelling is g-o-w-r-l-e-y and i am at instagram just at freya galley and that's more that's probably my cottagecore kind of aesthetic (laughs) (laughs) um and i guess yeah my book will be out hopefully in early 2021 so if you're interested in kind of um the relationship between material culture of the home and sociability and emotion, then hopefully you'll find it interesting. This conversation has been such a joy, such a treat. I really, really love the work that you do. And I think your work allows for a really interesting and unique view of textile production and needlework. Well, thank so, you. Thank you. That means a lot. I've had a really lovely time chatting this morning. Yay for the Freya interview. Oh, love it. I honestly love doing this podcast because I really enjoy learning and thinking about all the different approaches to needlework practice and research that scholars and makers are undertaking. I am truly shocked that I'd never known about textile trials at the Old Bailey, which was London's central criminal court from 1674 to 1913. I'm actually going to read the Mary Smith one Freya mentioned, where Mary Smith supposedly stole some silk patchwork from Anne Cross because I find it really interesting and I think you will too. Here's what it says. Quote, Mary Smith of the parish of St. James Westminster was indicted for stealing a piece of silk patchwork and a snuff box, the goods of Anne Cross, on the 30th of December. The prosecutor swore that she lost the goods two years ago when the prisoner was her servant, and it appeared that the patchwork had been seized in execution, among other goods, at the suit of one Brome and Ward, and by them conveyed to Mrs. Cross, who swore to part of it, as did also Mrs. Cross, the player, and another, and that they helped to make it. But there was no evidence to the snuffbox. The prisoner had several credible people to her reputation, some of whom deposed that they knew the patchwork produced and helped her to make it, and others who gave her some of the pieces, and it appearing that Brome and Ward's execution was set aside in the Court of Common Pleas, and that this prosecution proceeded from thence, she was acquitted, end quote. So fascinating, right? So basically what happens is Mary Smith is accused of stealing some patchwork from Anne Cross. She brings in her friends who say, no, we actually helped her make it. Those pieces are from me. We all did it together. And even if Mary Smith did actually steal that patchwork, I think it speaks volumes about the importance of textiles to that community. The fact that textiles were precious enough to lead to court cases is so crazy. 
What I'm saying is, where is the textile-based Judge Judy? Am I right? Bring it on. Patchwork and quilts more generally are huge topics in the field of needlework, so I will definitely be getting into that stuff probably in season two. Okay, that's it for me this week. Thanks for listening, and as always, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook if you haven't already, and please subscribe and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Now go out and stitch some stories. How about stitching some out of Patrick, eh? So fun! I would suggest doing it. Okay, bye!